0: Welcome to Ex Libris on Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors.
1: The title of the book, The Glass Ship, and the author is Martin Simmon, <clears throat> and the author is Martin Simmons and Martin joins us from Victoria, Australia. Hello Martin. Hello. Great to have you with us Martin. The Glass Ship. We're talking about a special book about the sport of soaring, sailplanes, if you will, and you've also create a love story as part of this. Everybody loves a good love story, even in sailplanes.
2: Well, I wasn't sure whether it was a story about uh, soaring or a story about love, <laughs> and I decided in the end that it's a love story with a soaring background, or if you like, It's a story about soaring in gliders, uh, and it happens to be a a love affair at the same time.
1: Well, it is an adventure in the sport of soaring, and that's something that you are well acquainted with, an experience... What what do you call yourself when you're a soarer? I don't know the official title of the pilot...
2: Well, there isn't really an official title, but uh, as far as my qualifications go, I have what they call a gold C certificate with a couple of diamonds. And if you're a little bit uh, better than I am, you'd have three diamonds instead of just two.
1: So what does that mean? You have soared a lot, I'm sure.
2: Yes, it's something about 1,500 hours total solo flying time. Uh, but the important thing is that to, to gain the gold gliding badge or the gold certificate, uh, you have to do various tasks like fly around a 300 kilometer triangle and uh, fly for 500 kilometres distance and things like that. So you, uh, you have to do a height climb as well. I think it's to 5000 metres, and that's just for the gold certificate. Then the diamonds come extra. You have to do Uh, more flying to get those.
1: Well, you're not only an experienced pilot of a sailplane, you're also an experienced writer. You've written a a lot of nonfiction.
2: Oh, yes, quite a few books, uh, mostly about uh, geography and aerodynamics. And then I did a a whole series of books about the history of gliders, uh, tracing their development from the very early ones to the uh, most advanced ones of the present time.
1: So what was the what was the genesis of this book? How did it come about?:
2: <laughs> Well, I just thought it was about time somebody did write a good story about gliding or soaring. Um, there have been very, very few fiction books about soaring, and I thought it was time somebody did one.
1: So the main character, Peter Markham, a school teacher he Sounds like he's ready for something new and exciting. He's had some problems.
2: Yes, he, he's a very ordinary school teacher and uh, he was in partnership. I won't say he was married. He never did marry, but uh, he was living with a girl, and she got fed up with him because she thought he was so dull. And uh, in order to try and uh, overcome this, he, he decided to join a gliding club and learn something adventurous. And he thought she would come with him, but then she didn't. So he was on his own again, and that's where it started.
1: And in this sport of soaring, as you point out, men and women are treated equally. So you, in this case, you have ladies who are soaring as well, even an instructor.
2: Oh, yes, indeed. That's not uncommon. Uh, Some of the best uh, pilots have been women, and there are still plenty of women involved, but not enough. I think most riding clubs would like to have more women members.
1: So Peter decides to make himself more exciting, and in the process he meets, as he feels, some new exciting people.
2: Oh, yes, indeed. Particularly these two women who have such a lot to do with the story. Um, there's the young one, the teenage girl, who more or less throws herself at him because she needs his help, And uh, this girl has a a stepsister who is a very formidable person indeed. And she's an instructor.
1: And she's older.
2: Yes, a few years older than her young sister.
1: So in the process, who does he fall for?
2: Well, um, that's a story, really. He he doesn't really fall uh, for either of them. But it's the young girl in the end that he stays close to. And they get closer as the story goes on.
1: So we have some interesting scenes, I'm sure, especially with Julia teaching him to fly. That has to be uh, some memorable kinds of images that you get in your mind when you're imagining what's going on.
2: Yes, uh, she's a very good instructor, but the the trouble with Julia is that she's, in one point in in the book, I describe her as barrel-shaped. She's a very large woman and quite formidable and she has a temper but she's a good instructor she teaches him to fly and he flies very well as a result of that but then the story really begins after that
1: and you also point out that she drinks too much is that a problem when she's flying
2: <laughs> it, it can be a very serious problem indeed in her case uh, she doesn't know when to stop drinking
1: well, tell us about this interaction between Peter and Mitch, the, the young little minx, as he yes. calls her.
2: Yes. Well, she's um, a schoolgirl, and uh, she's very bright. She's doing well at school, uh, and she's also uh, a very attractive girl. But, of course, she most of the time she wears a flying suit, and she's pretty scruffy because being a glider pilot you don't have to dress up for anybody you're on your own in the cockpit and everything you do is your own business so she doesn't really um, go around with boys very much but she begins to get rather keen on peter in this story and the trouble then is of course that julia the older sister doesn't like that very much
1: so there's some jealousy with the instructor
2: yes uh, well after after she's taught him to fly he remains in the gliding club and they go on flying but julia the older girl is warns him off her young sister she says she's mine you leave her alone
1: (laughs) well the title the glass ship uh, we're talking about a sailplane built in fiberglass now what's the significance of of that
2: well, in the early days, of course, they built gliders in the same way. They built aeroplanes with uh, mostly wood and covered with fabric. Uh, around about the 1950s they discovered that they could build sailplanes out of fiberglass and that revolutionised the sport because the wings were so accurately made in the moulds which they used to make fiberglass aircraft uh, that the performance of the gliders improved enormously. And to have a glass ship at that time was considered to be very modern and up-to-date, and you had the best kind of aircraft that there was. So they call them quite often the glass ship. It's a slang term, but it's accurate. And the particular glass ship that I describe in this book, and there is a drawing of it actually on one of the pages to show you what it looked like, um, that came along in 1964. It was a type of glider that I actually flew at one time.
1: So Peter goes through a series of life-changing experiences. Please share one of those with us.
2: I suppose one of them was the learning to fly the glass ship and discovering how good it was. But the other one, of course, is that he becomes involved with this young girl who's only 17 or 18 years old. He's a mature man. And the question does arise as to how far he should go with a young girl, especially when she has this uh, rather formidable sister.
1: And so that's the rest of the story for everyone to find out, right?
2: (laughs) Well, it's a mixture of flying and, as I say, love. Well, uh, Julia, the older girl, is a drinker, and she shouldn't really be flying when she's drunk. Uh, The question is, what happens To her as a result of this drinking problem. The sister, the uh, little girl, Mitch, is very worried about this and doesn't know how to cope with it. In the end, it comes to a crisis and something has to be done.
1: And Peter is a part of it. Yes. Martin, you have a couple of other books that are available as well. Tell us about those.
2: Well, there's one called Cities at Sea, uh, which is a sort of futuristic story uh, which has to do with climate change and why uh, we haven't yet adapted ourselves and uh, the answer is to that that uh, with the big cities they've decided not to live on the land anymore but to build enormous rafts which they go out to sea with and that's the story at the beginning uh, the cities are all at sea and there's nobody uh, living on the land except some rather savage tribes and things like that The other book is called Jenny Rat and Jenny Rat is a fairly serious story uh, about a a man who goes out one night in a storm and discovers a girl, a young girl, dying in the street outside his home and he picks her up and takes her in and sees that she gets to hospital. Uh, She does very nearly die and in fact in the early stages she says she wants to die because she's so miserable but uh, he does what he can to help her, and that's the beginning of the story.
1: Sounds like great reading. Thank you. Again, everyone, the title of the book, The Glass Ship, and we've been talking to the author, Martin Simmons. Martin, what's the best way to get your book?
2: Well, it can, uh, you can
1: buy it online if you like. Uh,
2: it's various, um, well, Amazon, for instance, or you can uh, find the... Uh, on your computer, find Ex Libris, and order it from them, and you can have it in two forms. You can have it as an electronic book, uh, or you can have it as a, an old-fashioned paper printed book.
1: Well, we've appreciated you being with us, Martin, on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you very much.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
1: Welcome back to Ex Libris. The title of the book, The Dark Side of Liberace, and the author is Sparrow Pastos. And Sparrow joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Sparrow.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: Great to have you with us, Sparrow. Now, Liberace, for most people, What would you say, over 50 today or 60 would know who he is?
0: Yes, uh, from the uh, television series, right? not anything else.
1: Okay, yes, but Liberace was a flamboyant, incredible entertainer, just packed them in in Las Vegas for many, many years, didn't he? You're correct. So let's talk about Liberace. What was his real name? Uh, Vladimir Liberace. And they called him, what did they call him? What did his parents call him? Lee. Called him Lee. Lee. Okay. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about his parents, because it's an important part of his life as well.
0: Yes. I I gather uh, that it is his mother and father... His father was Italian. They met uh, uh, at the World's Fair, uh, but she was a farm girl. I don't know what else to say.
1: Well, she was, according to some things that you've written, a very beautiful woman. And the father, what was right. the father? Was there music in the family?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, his father played the uh, tuba, he was proficient at it, he fell in love with the uh, uh, companion and uh, he left her, and uh, that's it.
1: So she raised Liberace. Right. She raised him, and... Do we know much about Liberace's musical training or how he became so good at what oh, yes. he did?
0: He, he, he experienced classical music from the uh, University of Wisconsin.
1: I think that's what we remember most about him, because he was such a flamboyant entertainer, but at the same time, he was an accomplished pianist.
0: Oh, of course, yeah. Thank and, you.
1: And most, most of the time when we uh, saw him on TV or if you happened to see him in concert at, in Las Vegas or I'm sure other venues, you were probably just blown away. I remember thinking, my goodness, this guy can
0: really play. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, he had several lovers, and uh, he tried experimentation to all parts of his body.
1: What do we know about him becoming homosexual? When did that all occur? Was it very young age?
0: Oh, of course, yeah. It was a very young age. And he always had a problem with that. Uh, it was an era of, of, of quiet.
1: Yeah, we just didn't talk about it, did we? We didn't talk about no, homosexuality no, no. back in the '60s and the '70s, right? I think we all knew that Liberace was gay. That there was—I don't think there was any doubt, was there?
0: No, 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 no,
1: no, no. Everybody knew, but for some reason, even you know, back then it was—he was accepted. I mean, at that time, homosexuals were not accepted at all,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah,
1: in the mass population they weren't uh they were uh they were shunned part of society. Right. But he he because I guess just because of his personality? Personality? Right, because of his personality and also of course his incredible talent his uh his as a pianist, uh he was just accepted.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. He he wandered on to uh, the television series, magnified that.
1: When did that TV show run?
0: 50s and 60s.
1: Okay, 50s and 60s. Do you remember the name of it besides being Liberace? <laughs>
0: uh, Liberace, that's... That was it. That
1: was it. Yes. That kind of said it all, didn't it? I mean, he he just had that unique place in American society and culture at that time.
0: And most of the grandmothers uh, adored him.
1: It's almost like we used to say, and here's Johnny, we'd all know who that is, wouldn't we?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yes. At least from our age group, you know, I mean, we all know Johnny Carson. I mean, Liberace... And he was on Johnny Carson a lot. I remember seeing him there.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: And he had a lot of well-known actors and musicians and singers and of entertainers on his show. Right. The TV show finally comes to an end, and then he is the name in Las Vegas. Yes, of course. Did you ever uh, see him? Did you ever see him in Las Vegas? Or? No, no,
0: okay. no, no. But he, he, he developed into a, an entertainer where he competed with the uh, Mario Lanza.
1: And, of course, around his success, there was lots of money and lots of people around him, and some of them were taking, of course, as always, big advantage of him.
0: Right, right.
1: Even stealing from Liberace, were people stealing oh, of from? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And his uh, manager Seymour was uh, a thief.
1: And his lawyer, and excellence. It, yeah, and his lawyer.
0: Uh, and his lawyer. Yeah.
1: yeah. I know you've written that the lawyer made some twenty-five million dollars from yeah. Liberace. So Liberace, his. His uh, fortune was uh, beyond comprehension at that time. Right. Well, he died in 1987, and then the battle over his estate just just exploded, didn't it?
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: So you had his attorney, who was trying to get his piece, and I guess you also had uh, a niece... Was she in the middle of it, too? I mean, she claimed there were hundreds of millions oh, of dollars. Oh, yes.
0: She uh, uh, also named Liberace, and Ina May uh, Liberace, and she fought him in court, and she gathered the family to rally
1: and, of course, he was buried in Forest Lawn overlooking Warner Brothers Studio, Warner Brothers Studio the f- famous uh, movie house. But his movie, he tried the movies, but it didn't work. No,
0: no. It failed him. But uh, he he survived with the... Uh,
1: with, with, his, I can't. with his TV show. Yes. Yeah, there was ABC, seven-year contract, and it was so popular and then of course all his uh, time in las vegas so his last years before he died did he suffer a long time with aids
0: um about 2 years he had his uh, lover die from that
1: very tragic obviously just very tragic right. uh, such a, an accomplished uh, talented individual and is there the rest of the story in this as far as did his estate ever get settled or is it you know was it no no no,
0: it was never settled he had his Las Vegas sister move out uh, from the the luxury home
1: you write at the Uh, concerning his this is beyond comprehension of what happened uh after his funeral but they even reopened the casket didn't they
0: yes of course
1: it turned into a circus right yeah we won't go into the details you have to find out by reading the book the dark side of liberace we've been talking to sparrow pastos he's the author and Fascinated with Liberace, Uh, never knew the man, right? You never knew him, but you were just fascinating and did a lot of research. You did a lot of research. Exactly. And, of course, where can we get your book, Pastos?
0: Barnes Noble, Ex Libris.
1: I guess we can go to Amazon Books and get it there as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sparrow, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Okay. Thank you. Very much.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
3: Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas. Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com.
0: back to Ex Libris
1: The title of the book Deja Vu and the author is Jane Grant and Jane joins us now on Ex Libris on air. Hello Jane.
4: Hi, how are you?
1: Great to have you with us. Well, this is a suspenseful dramatic love story. Some call it a heart Pounding thriller, especially with this kind of theme where she lives in Silicon Valley, but something happened in Chicago and she doesn't remember, but something happened. Yes. The
4: main character in the book, a middle aged, divorced, uh, single mother, has a great job in Silicon Valley, and all of a sudden she sees someone. And she just has a feeling of deja vu. Something has happened. That character that I just saw reminds me of something. She goes back to her home and then she remembers her past in Chicago. And she said, Something is driving me to remember my past. So she leaves her safe environment in the Silicon Valley and travels to Chicago where, trying to find the answers to her past, she sees two people that call her by a different name. So then she goes to the hospital in Chicago that she remembered and she's looking in the archives there to try to remember and piece together things. And she goes back to her hotel exhausted, feeling... I've gotten somewhere, but yet I have a feeling that I don't have the answers I need. And then she finds, instead of jetting back on a commercial flight to her safe California home, she's kidnapped. And she's kidnapped by people that are nice to her, but yet she's fearful of them. And of all places... Instead of taking someplace scary and off the wall, she's jetted to an estate in Hawaii. And she's treated like family, but yet very, very particular. They don't want her to know anything. They don't want her to see anybody. And she's sheltered by them. And the suspense continues of why... Why is this? Well, meantime, she's trying to find the answers. And she develops a romance with the tall, dark um, son of the family who is relatively her ex-husband who she thought was killed, brother, and of all names, Bond. (laughs) And he's able give her just enough security in being kidnapped and away from her family, away from her daughter, to want to develop a bond with him to try to find the answers. And he, in turn, being taken with her steps just close enough to the romance factor where he backs away every time it looks like something is going to happen between them.
1: So her past, they don't want her to remember.
4: Correct. Because her past, her husband who was shot, was their son.
1: So this mystery... This mystery that you have woven always keeps us right on the edge. We never know exactly where it's going.
4: Correct. And in the meantime, the reader finds out that her husband, who she remembers, was shot. And then she's given a new identity and sent to California for her own protection to live is still alive and we travel around the world by seeing what he's doing in his spy life adventures and it's really quite entertaining and quite dramatic
1: well I love the way you opened up with the story with this little fender bender but this man does he recognize her?
4: Well, she recognizes him. Ah. That's what, what brings her to open what happened.
1: But he. Do, but she doesn't know why she recognizes him. But there's something that keeps driving her to think more about this.
4: Yes, and that um, causes her travels to Chicago, and then from there she... Um, all the escapades that she has, being on the private estate and trying to remember everything, but yet being so scared and fearful, fearing the father, who is the head of the family at the estate.
1: Kind of a little mafia kind of situation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this book has kind of a James Bond feel to it, doesn't it?
4: Yes, that's what I was striving for. And I think it um, developed that, because with the travels of both of the brothers, we go all around the world. We go to Florida, we go to Venezuela, we go to Portland, Oregon, we also go to the wineries in Napa.
1: So the romance is... Uh, how would you describe the romance? It, so, it sounds like it's all in the shadows, if you will.
4: Yes. Um, well, she is remembering her lost husband while she is following, falling for his brother. Um, the character bond which at the time she doesn't know the relation and it's the suspense of will she find the romance with the brother and will the brother what exactly um, will he
1: lead her to and and why Actually, And why was her husband shot? You know, it sounds like he was... Somebody tried to kill him.
4: Yes. Well, there is a... In the noted world of the Mafia, there is the enemy family, which um, shot at the husband while he was, ironically, pushing the baby carriage in the park in Chicago of her daughter. And then... Because of who she was and who her husband was, she was whisked off for protection. She was given the daughter, and she was just told that her husband died. But in the crux of the matter, they were trying to protect her and protect her daughter's life.
1: So, do we get to know the villains well in this uh, do we i mean how do you uh, this this is such a intriguing style that you write your your style is just it you feel the tension right away right in the opening pages so are, are you revealing everything or do you just kind of keep us wondering
4: well I'm putting you in the mindset of the main character because she is bombarded with questions and the answers come in the very final chapters when she, at the end, she is reunited with her quote-unquote dead husband and then she was finally able to find the answers and find the meaning for everything that happened to her.
1: Why did you write this book?
4: Because I saw a need for it. There wasn't really anything on the market going in a romance spy thriller. There's the James Bond character out there now, which... Actually, the female character in the James Bond novels is just for show, I think. I wanted to actually get in the mindset of these people and get the reader lost in what is going on, who can I trust, what will happen next. And I wanted was really aiming for a good action movie which reading this novel will take you directly into that. Pure entertainment
1: and guessing. (laughs) Pure entertainment, guessing, a thriller, as we already mentioned, a a heart-pounding thriller. So, will there be a sequel?
4: You know, I really think that that would be great. Um, I just want to get a good portion of the audience involved in this book and get them wanting the thriller. The sequel follow-up edition. I want to hear the reader ask for that.
1: The title of the book Deja Vu and we've been talking with Jane Grant, the author. What's the best way for us to get your book Deja Vu?
4: Well you can go on Amazon or you can go to the website Ex Libris, or it can be ordered in Barnes & Noble.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jane, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air.
4: Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you.
0: Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On
4: Air.